Okay, so continuing with Great Jewish Treasures, today we're going to discuss, among other things, the famous Aaron HaKadosh in the Panovich Yeshiva Beis Medrash. If anyone's ever been to the Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak, which is uh, arguably the most uh, famous yeshiva in the world today, uh, they would find a uh, magnificent gold-plated or gold-painted Aaron HaKadosh, and uh, it doesn't seem like it fits into the base matters. It's a, you know a regular building. It's not a an, oh, it's not a very uh, you know fancy structure itself. The the walls are all plain like any other yeshiva's base matters. And in the front of it, there is this like very ornate like looks like extremely valuable aron. And the question is, where did it come from? What's the history? So it's from Italy. And um, Italian Jews have a long, glorious history, which dates back before the Churban Bayesheni. There were already Jews living in Italy. But World War II obliterated nearly all the Jewish communities in Italy, and most of their magnificent shuls and religious objects were left in ruins. So, meaning Italian Jews, they were deported, they were exiled, and a lot of these uh, shuls that they had to abandon during World War II uh, remained unguarded with many, many, you know, amazing treasures that dated back many, many centuries. So, in the early 1950s, there was a person by the name of Dr. Umberto Nahon, or Nahon, one of the leaders of the Italian Jewish community, and he began to gather the contents of 40 shuls from all around Italy, and especially their holy arks, their Aron HaKadosh, and export them to Israel. So this was his mission. He wanted to go to Italy, and he basically took out a 40 different, very old shuls, the Aron HaKadosh, that was in them, and plus any other artifacts that he could salvage. Now among all of these Aron HaKadoshes were... Uh, seven from the Italian city of Mantua. And one of these, which was constructed in 1635, was very ornate, painted with gold leaf, and featuring images of the sacred vessels of the Beis Hamikdash. Originally housed in the great synagogue of Mantua, then moved to a palace of the Duchess for Felicita Gonzaga, the glorious ark restored in 1749 arrived at the Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak in 1955, where it stands until today, beautifying one of the most celebrated study halls in the world. So basically, this Dr. Nachon, he, he had all these Aranakaidishes, he didn't really know what to do with them. Like, what, so I think there is a museum somewhere in Eretz Yisrael, that a lot of these artifacts that he was able to salvage from all over Italy were ha- are housed. But, you've been there? I think so, yeah. Really, wow. But, the, um, but one of them, probably the most beautiful of all, uh, found its way to the Panovich Yeshiva, said, you want it? I guess they said, yeah, why not? So they took it, and, uh, and, and there it stands till today. And if you look, it's like very, very beautiful. There's... Uh, the Menaira and there's Mizbeach and there's all types of crowns and uh, and and many beautiful features that this Aaron has and this is the famous backdrop. If you see a lot of pictures, many pictures of Rav Shach speaking in his base medrash or uh, other gedolim 
that we're speaking in the base Medrash, a lot of it has this famous golden aron as a backdrop. I'll give you an example of one of the pictures that I'm talking about. Let's see. Yeah. Like, you ever see a picture of Rav Shach? It looks something like that. So what's that gold in the background? It's this Aron HaKadosh, because that's, uh, that's where he spoke from. It was his yeshiva. He was Rosh Shiva. So it's understandable that that's what was the backdrop. Now, the, who founded the Panamich Yeshiva? This is what the whole yeshiva looks like. From a, It's an old postcard of the yeshiva. It was a massive structure that was built uh, by the Panamich Yerav. Panovich Rav of Kahneman um, was, uh, he was a brilliant Rosh Yeshiva. He had a yeshiva in a community in the city of Panovich in Lithuania before the war. And then he was able to escape at the last second from Europe and, and make his way to Eretz Israel. His entire community, I think his wife and all of his Talmidim there and his Balabatim in the shuls, the yeshivas, the Beis Yaakovs. It's a very big community, Panovich, in Lithuania. They were all liquidated by the Nazis. So he made it his life's business to, his life's work, I should say, to, uh, to basically build what the Nazis destroyed. So he built the yeshiva called Panovich and uh, and that was named after the uh, after the uh, the his community in 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 Lithuania before it was destroyed, and he um, and and then he he had to obviously collect millions of dollars to build this place. It was a, it's a massive ca- campus, uh, and not only to build a building it is is one thing, but then you got to actually pay the bills. You got to pay all the electricity bills if you build... Uh, it's one thing you, you build the issue, but that doesn't mean that Kaned is Michael, their bills, and, uh, and you have to give food to the guys, and you have to, uh, you know, pay uh, all types of, you know, gardening bills, and uh, uh, any repair, and uh, whatever needs to go into building such a building. And this was all on this one elderly Rosh Hashiva's shoulder. So he used to go around the world... Uh, you would come to America very often. You'd go to Miami Beach to collect from, you know, the wealthy people that went down there to vacation. Went to New York and uh, throughout throughout the country and throughout the world. Really, the Panavicharov went and uh, and he he raised many many millions of dollars. There's um, so it's it's fascinating that he was able to procure this Aranaka edition is based matters. And, uh, and what I wanted to say here in the book is that possibly the Panovich based Medrash is the most befitting place for this Italian masterpiece because of the following story. Uh, one time, Rav Kahneman, when he was traveling, like I said, around the world, one of the stops that he made was Rome, which is the capital of Italy. And... Apparently there were some wealthy Jews in Rome that he wanted to raise money from. So he arranged to go on the way. He had a taxi, and he had arranged to go with somebody uh, <coughs> to the Arch of Titus. Titus is the Hebrew way of saying it. I think in, in English they call him Titus. But um, the Arch of Titus is a very famous arch in, in Rome. And the reason why it's so famous is because it has... On the inside of the arch, there's a very uh, well-known um, picture, engraving, of the way the Jews went uh, into Gullus 
into Rome after the Chorban bias, when after the, the Romans destroyed the second base Hamikdash, so they put they send into Gaulus uh, all the Jews, and they they were in captivity. And there's this uh, I don't have a picture of it on me, but if you Google the Arch of Titus, you'll see like a, a, a an engraving of like Jews being uh, um, you know imprisoned and walking, carrying the Menorah and other kalim of the basement, particularly the Menorah, into the city of Rome because there was and and uh, so I think they built that arch over the place that the Jews had to walk through, and they called the Arch of Titus because Titus was the Roman general that was responsible for the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. So, the Panamacharov said that when he was driving, uh, when he was driving through Rome, he asked his driver if he could please, it wasn't a taxi, it was actually at a driver, a from driver, and he says, would you please be able to pull over by the Arch of Titus. He says, what, do you, what does Rosh Hashanah need by the Arch of Titus? It's, it's not, a, not interested in going sightseeing, right? He says, no, I need, to see the, I need to see the Arch of Titus. So, all right, they pass by the Arch of Titus, they pull over. The Panevichirov, like, straightens his hat and his, his, he cleans his frock and, like, stands, like, you know, very properly in front of the arch, and he says as follows. This is what he says. He starts calling out in front of everybody, Titus, Titus. 2,000 years ago, you tried to obliterate the Jewish people and to leave no remnant of them. But heed my words, Titus. What is left of your heritage? Are there any people in the world who see themselves as bearers of your legacy? Jews are alive and studying Torah throughout the world. Titus, we are here. Where are you? And like people already gathering, like what's this Jew saying? Who is he having a conversation with? But this was like a historical, famous uh, um, monologue that the, uh, that, that the Rashiva Panovich had with Titus. He was basically saying, like, look, all over the world, there are, there are people that you try to destroy learning Tyra and, and keeping mitzvahs and doing the right thing. And where are you? Like, you're, no one even knows your name. You're basically, this is all you have. You have an arch here in the middle of Rome. Nobody follows you. Nobody cares about you. The Roman Empire is long, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, the dust, in, the, in the dustbins of history. So there's nothing really of you. And look at us. I mean, he was like sort of like, uh, like rubbing it in in a way that, you know, that this is, you're, you're nothing. And look, we were able to vanquish you in the end. We, we triumphed in the end. So this is how I end off. Accordingly, how providential is it, it is that the Panevicher Rav's yeshiva should boast the exquisite Italian Tara Ark. This Ark serves as an eternal reminder that despite Titus's effort to destroy the Jewish people in the Torah, he utterly failed. A holy vestige from Italy has survived its near destruction and found its way to Eretz Yisrael, to the pulsating Torah center of Panovich. The looted utensils of the temple carved in the Arch of Titus have been retrieved, as it were, and reside in the engravings of the Aranach Titus in Bnei Brak until the coming of Mashiach, when the holy temple will be rebuilt in Yerushalayim. And then I end, Titus must be seething. That's the, uh, you know, but it's a cool tzushta, right? That you have, like, uh, you know, the Panevich Rashiva saw it as his personal revenge against the Tituses of, of, of his time. And then 
providence would have it, Ashkach Pratis has it, that of all the places that it could end up and ends up in his, in his base Madrash, you know, beautifying it and showing that the remnant of Italy, you know, of Titus's Italy, of his Rome, uh, is basically, has been transferred now to, uh, to Eretz Yisrael, to Panovich, where, it's, where it resides in a base Medrash, and, and it bears witness as to the great rebirth of Tyra that people like the Panovich Rav and others uh, made possible in Eretz Yisrael and, and, and throughout the world. Just wanted to uh, show a, uh, a, um, a sidebar that I put in here, like I showed you before. This is a picture of Shach with the famous golden Aranach this is the top of the Aranach Kaidish that says, L'Raimim Espeis Alekeinu. It's supposed to uh, exalt the house of our God, and that's found over here, that little emblem. Um, and that, that crowns the top of the Aran, of the Aranach Kaidish. So, one time, uh, the uh, Rav Shach once approached a student and asked, did you ever stop and gaze at the marvel and marvel at the yeshiva's magnificent gilded ark. I mean, did you ever like bother to look at it? Everyone's learning the base medrash all day. Like, do you ever bother and say, "Wow, this is a, an amazing aron"? No, not really. The student responded. But I see children coming in here every Friday night. Said the Rashiba. They come and stand before that ark and audibly voice their amazement over it. So, what's the difference between them and you? Why don't you marvel at it? But these strange, you know, these guests that come into yeshiva every Friday. I remember when the first time I went to Panovich, it was also like I think a Friday night. I don't remember. I think we were in. Uh, I think I went with the camp in the summer. It must have been in seventh, eighth grade. And like I remember, it was like very like impressive to see that arm. And but yet, if you learn Panovich, nobody even notices it almost. So Rav Shach says, learned a lesson from this. He says, the answer is simple. For them, it is a new sight, and as such, it is exceedingly striking. But for you, however, it is just another part of the yeshiva's furniture, for you have long ago become accustomed to it. And his takeaway from using the Aaron as a, as a backdrop and as a, uh, you know, as a way to illustrate this is that to appreciate things, we need to look at them with a sense of newness and discovery. Sometimes we, we get very accustomed to seeing things, and uh, because we're so used to it, we take it for granted. But if you ha- have the ability to have like fresh eyes and see things anew every single day, so then we would be able to be much more appreciative of things. So if let's say um, you know, every day we come and we, we're able to eat breakfast in yeshiva, so then, you know, after a while, it's like a given. I go after I dive and I go upstairs, I, eat, I have a bagel, I have a, you know, or I have lunch, I have supper. It's not like a big deal. But let's say, uh, you know, one day uh, they didn't, didn't come, breakfast wasn't served, and lunch wasn't served, supper wasn't served. So then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, you know, like I, I should have appreciated when I, when I had it. Like they were giving me free breakfast. I didn't realize it. I had a meal plan, so I don't have to go out to eat or whatever. I, I was able to have it. So it makes you stop and realize that we're blessed. But if you have, it, if you have something every single day, if you're able to breathe you know, without a respirator every single day and see without, you know, without any uh, help or, or be able to walk and not use a wheelchair or anything, so then we, we, we tend to take things for granted. Life, in order to be fully appreciated, and this is Rav Shach's message, 
is that we have to sometimes look at something like brand new. When we see things as being brand new, then we can like be awed at them, we can be amazed. And sometimes like we have to lose things in order to appreciate it, ironically. That's the way things are. Like if, if a person, let's say, loses their tefillin for a day or I've known people, you know, sometimes you misplace them or they get lost on an airplane or whatever, and you know, until you get them back, you're like halishing them now. And when the first time you get them back, you like you you hopefully will put them on. You say, "Wow, it's such a gift that I have, Baruch Hashem. I have my tefillin back." But if you don't lose something, then it doesn't really you know you don't realize the chashivas of something because we get used to things, and that's uh, one of the challenges of life is being able to appreciate things even though we're used to it. Being able to appreciate sight and hearing and breathing and walking and talking and, you know, and, and family and friends and yeshiva and learning and, and uh, college, whatever, is, whatever it is that we, that we do all day, every day. So don't let the fact that we are accustomed to it make, make us less appreciative of things. I remember I was once uh, in Eretz Yisrael and I was recruiting in Nitiv in the yeshiva by the Kaisal. And I was going on, in my spare time, I was going, uh, I went on, on the porch, and there's, have you, ever, have you ever been to that yeshiva? Uh, right, so anyway, if you go out, it's, it's probably the, the most hush of a piece of real estate in Eretz Yisrael. You go uh, out onto their big deck on the Mirpeset, and you have like a, a straight view of the Kaisal Amarabi, like a like gorgeous view. It looks like, you know, you could see if there are a lot of people there or if, there, if it's empty or if it's raining, if it's smelling. That's a place to go, like to check out the Kaisal. And these guys, you know, who are zeichet to learn in that yeshiva are able to like see that every single day. So I, I went out uh, on the porch out with a coffee or something and then I uh, was just like mesmerized by the sight in front of me. And then I, there were two guys standing there in schmoozing, and I said to them, wow, you guys are so lucky. Like, every day you get to, like, behold the Kaisal Maravi. It must be, like, an amazing experience. So they look, like, at each other, and they look, like, down to the ground, sort of, like, ashamed of something. And I said, what's wrong? Did I, did I touch a nerve? He said, no. It's just that, you know, the first day or two that we were here, you know, we were, like, very inspired and moved by it. He says, but... Today, honestly, it, it's just a wall. It's just a wall. It's like another wall. How, how can you say that? You, know, you could say that very easily because if you're used to anything, it's just a wall. You can have the Beis HaMikdash in front of you and if you're, not, if you're not careful to really appreciate it daily, then it's not, uh, not going to be holy to you. It's not going to be special. In fact, Chaim Shmulevitz, in one of his famous uh, Shmuzen, writes that um, there's a pasuk that says that when you go into the Beis Hamikdash, Haba Derech Shar Yemin, I think it says, if you come in from the right way, let's say you enter from the right side of the Beis Hamikdash, you can't leave the same place that you entered. You have to like sort of go out the other. Lahavdil, you know, like when you go into a, uh, an amusement park ride or something, you never never go out the same door that you came in. You always go out of a different place, like. Um, and that's how that's how in the base of Mikdash you never went out of the same door you came in. When you, you come in, everyone goes in to a, through a certain exit, through a certain entrance, and they exit from a different side of the building. Why? So Chaim Shlavit says, very Pasha, because the base of Mikdash should not be wrote to you. If you all of a sudden 
go, you're going in and then you go back out, you think, oh, I've been here already before, it's not a big deal. You're used to it. You become like, you know, it just becomes like you become jaded from the base of If you go in through that door and then you go out from the same entrance, and you say, oh, I've been there, done that, ho-hum. So in order to keep that newness and that freshness of the base of you were mandated to leave in a di- from a different exit than when you came in from. You can't go back. Once you go in one way, you have to go out another way. Because everything in life is like that. Everything in life is very, uh, it's so easy to get used to and to take for granted. And that is the biggest challenge with everything in life. Um, you know, with marriages, it's a very big challenge. You know, when a first person first starts dating his wife, you know, you hold the door open for her. If you're a gentleman, you hold every door open for her. And you're, you know, you're whining her, you're dining, you're taking her out to restaurants, you're, you know, you're, you're paying for everything and you're, you're treating her you're so respectfully, you're saying everything the right way. And, and, then, um, and then, you know, as you're dating more and more, so hopefully you'll continue doing that, but then you get married. And then, you know, a couple of weeks into marriage or months into marriage, you're not opening the door open for anymore. You're not holding a door open. You're not uh, necessarily, uh, you know, asking her what, what you could do for her, if you could take out the garbage, if you could do it. You know, you're, you became used to it. You became used to it. And, and when a person becomes used to something, that's the worst thing in the world. If you're used to things, you start taking her for granted. Of course she's going to have food on the table every day for me supper and lunch and whatever. And of course she's going to, you know, be doing shopping and, and going, uh, you know, you know, helping me with this and doing that and going to work. Of course, it's a given. But when you feel it's a given, that's when, that's when the trouble starts. You have to always try to keep in life a certain sense of newness and freshness in whatever you're doing. Same thing is true with a job. Um, you know, I find that like a, like a cleaning lady... Uh, I have this every, you know, every once in a, in a while you have to get a new cleaning lady. Why? Because the first few days or weeks, they're, they're amazing. And then, you know, with time, as time goes on, they're suddenly on their phone. You know, we have a big problem, like the, our cleaning lady, who we have a couple of times a week, you know, she used to mamish do everything perfectly. And now, like, my kids are home sometimes throughout the day, or, you know, and, and she's on, you know, she has a, you know, a, a what do you call it, Bluetooth or whatever, a, you know, ear, AirPod, and you know, she's on the phone most of the time. She's not concentrating what she's doing. So sometimes the, the, the wash, you know, gets shrunk because she's not paying attention or uh, stuff is lying around, like she leaves the house half done. Like, you know, and it's very frustrating. You're paying her decent money and, you know, you expect... But there's an expression that a, a, a new broom sweeps the best, which means that you're... And it's not just true for cleanliness. It's true for everybody. Any employer knows that after a while an employee starts getting a little bit, you know, you don't come on time anymore, you don't leave on time, you, you take a longer lunch break and you're not doing your work with the a, with a fullest concentration because you get used to it. When you, when you get a brand new job, well, I want to really impress the boss. After you're there for five years, 10 years, 20 years, you're already like, oh, you know, like, you know, I, I, I outlived three bosses already, like, and I can't, you know, what am I supposed to do? And... And this is, uh, this is a lesson that Rav Shach teaches us from this Aranak Haidesh, that you see that people that are there every day, you don't even notice that you have a gorgeous 16, uh, you know, 17th century Aranak Haidesh, um, you know, in your, in your base madrash and all the history that goes into it. It's just another, another Aranak Haidesh, another wall, it's another, you know, it doesn't, doesn't resonate. So we have to 
the trick to life is to try to like close your eyes once in a while and imagine as if something was taken away. Like pretend that you didn't have your film this morning. Pretend that you didn't have, uh, you know, chas v'shalom, you know, certain family members. Yeah, pretend that you didn't have a yeshiva to go to. You didn't have a uh, breakfast. Like think about that and then like, and then open your eyes and say, oh, Baruch Hashem, I do. Sometimes that's very helpful in terms of, you know, reappreciating some. We all appreciate it, but like, we sometimes don't always feel that way because we, we take things for granted. That's the way a human being is wired, that we, we, we just think that everything, because something happened yesterday, I'm going to have it tomorrow also. And uh, unfortunately, you know, that's not always the case. So you have to appreciate things when you have them. And when you appreciate things when you have them, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu continues to give them to you. But if you stop appreciating, sometimes HaKadosh Baruch says, wait a minute, he doesn't appreciate it anyway, so maybe I, I don't have to continue giving it to him. I'll just end with one part of the Chinuch that, that speaks as the Sefer. Chinuch says that by benching, he says, you know, benching is also something we do so often that we don't always concentrate on what we're saying. But the Chinuch writes that if you, if you bench with kavana. That's a skula, that's like going to be like a, a good harbinger of, of always having parnasa. You'll always have parnasa, you'll always have food on the table if you bench with kavana. If you don't bench with kavana, anything could happen, Rahman al But if you bench with kavana, like it's a great thing to think about before you bench. Like if you want constant parnasa, so always try to bench today with, with a bench and with kavana because that's like an insurance policy that you will have in the future. Why? Because I think it's like what we're saying, that if, you, if you're able to bench properly, it shows that you get it. Like you, you really don't take Hashem for granted. Even though you had a food on the table today and yesterday and every day of your life, you don't assume that that's always going to be there. You have to you know, thank Hashem every day fresh. And if you do that, then Hashem says, ah, I see that he, he gets it, he appreciates it. So I don't have to take it away from him for him to appreciate it because he appreciates it without me taking it away from him. But if chas v'shalom, we don't appreciate it, sometimes I go to Shabbat and say, oh, I have to shake things up a little bit and show him that it's not a given. And, and we don't want that to ever happen, chas v'shalom. So um, it's always a good idea to, again, like just really try, I'm talking to myself more than you, to close your eyes and to really try to appreciate everything that we have and make sure that we don't take anything for granted. And when we do that, we'll be, if we're able to really see things fresh every day, we'll be great servants of Hashem, we'll be great husbands, great fathers, great chavrusas, great, you know, people, because, great bosses, great employees, because we always appreciate everything to its fullest and we don't need it to be taken away for us to get the message that nothing is really a given in life.